Coffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, as usual, joined by my co-host, Alex. What up? We are coming to you following Everton's 2-1 victory against Leicester City at Goodison Park. A determined, maybe not always comfortable affair, but ultimately, Everton escaped with all three points. Now seven since Project Restart and the Premier League resumed play. Alex, your initial reaction to what unfolded at Goodison today? I would say it's an ugly win, but it's a win nonetheless. It brings us to two wins and a draw from three played since Project Restart. And I think that Everton Football Club have been so inconsistent in the last couple years when it comes to performances that are less than perfect or less than attractive. We usually can't grind out results, but we grinded out a result today against None other than the third place in the table. It was ugly, but we got three points, and I think that's what's important. What about you, James? Yeah, I have to agree. It was very, very nervous at times, especially in the second half, but we were fortunate enough to be able to put two past them early and able to maintain that lead throughout the entire match. Not the best performance overall from the squad, but if nothing else, Carlo Ancelotti has them playing really resolute defense and determined effort throughout the entire team on the pitch. I mean, special shout out to the back line who, again, were absolutely outstanding. And if not for a very, very unlucky deflection, we would have had another clean sheet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it was it wasn't perfect. But at the same time, though, we very much limited any clear cut chances that they had. And so with that being said, I think that and, and I don't think it was any any coincidence that, you know, we saw a very good performance from none other than Michael Keane once again. And so with that, I think Carlo Ancelotti, as we've been seeing, is setting up the team to their strengths, and he's getting really good fight and spirit from the squad. I think I don't think anyone can argue about that. And the fight and the spirit and the togetherness of the team is what is pushing all of these positive results our way. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of the factors, maybe the tactical things that Ancelotti does as well. But before we dive into an in-depth analysis of the match, we just wanted to start with, if you haven't already heard, we interviewed Tim Howard in our last episode, a great interview. So go back and check that out once you're done listening to this. Secondly, we want to give a special shout out to the guys on the Discord who predicted the score correctly for today's match. And those are James H., Landy Goose, and Connor D.W., We always run score predictions on our Discord. If you haven't joined our Discord yet, what are you waiting for? Invite.gg slash ATP. Join now. Um, And congrats to those guys for having the wherewithal to predict a 2-1 victory for the Blues today. Very optimistic. I always predict a tie or a loss, it seems like. But those guys had it spot on today. Yeah, and it's always good for some positive score predictions. So let's dive into the lineup first, right? So we had two changes this week. We had Gordon back in the lineup on the left-hand side instead of Bernard, which we saw the last time out. And then Tom Davies was dropped for none other than Gilfie Sigurdsson, who played a central role today. James, how do you feel about the changes to the lineup? Both seem pretty necessary. I think, you know, after Gordon made his debut, of course, in the Merseyside Derby a couple weeks ago, it seemed almost inevitable that he would make his way back into the side eventually. He did that today. Bernard, not his most impressive performance last match against Norwich. And 
of course, we talked about it last time. Tom Davis's Tom Davis's performance was atrocious, and we saw the impact that Sigurdsson made when he came into that game. So it it stands to reason why Carlisle would want to give put Sigurdsson in, in there alongside Gomez, who it can exert maybe better control of the midfield and maybe play with a little bit more confidence because yeah, Davis just looked completely off the pace against Norwich. So both necessary, and I think from the get go, it was clear that they were both very impactful decisions by Carlo. Yeah, easily agreed. And something I want to point out about just the changes to the lineup, right? We talk about it a lot in general. And and from a theoretical standpoint, in my mind, if a player does not perform the week before or the, or the prior match, he should not be playing again, unless for some reason, obviously we have injuries or that sort of thing, right? Since Project Restart, we saw Gordon start on the left-hand side, which was, was a surprise for that match, but Bernard was healthy and he was on the bench. He wasn't particularly great, but he wasn't terrible. We then moved to Norwich and we saw Bernard start. He wasn't great at all. Maybe not even that good. Now we see Gordon back in the starting lineup, and I think that that's really positive for Everton as a whole because it shows that we are starting to get the type of... of squad competition that that's necessary competition for places that's necessary and i think as we talk about how the game progressed we really see that come into play with with anthony anthony gordon specifically yeah and we see it almost immediately gordon started out the game very hot and of course we score the first goal notoriously early scoring everton on 10 minutes it was actually a really so the move originated with a really nice chip pass by mason holgate out wide to luca dean who heads it Right to Anthony Gordon's feet. He takes a really nice first touch down the line, plays it perfectly, almost exactly to the penalty spot, a little bit in front for Richarlison to run right onto it and blast it home. An outstanding finish, an outstanding move overall. And all of a sudden we're away and flying up one nil. You know, I think with that, with that move, with that team movement in general, team play in general signifies really is just look at the difference between Anthony Gordon's decision making or or pace of decision-making from the Liverpool match to then even just the first 10 minutes in today's match, right? He had, you know, he had the intelligence and he made the decisions quick enough to start pinging the ball into the back or into the, excuse me, into the box, right? And he made that fantastic big touch because he knew that he could outpace the defender to get the ball into the box. And then, as you said, it was, it was an almost an inch-perfect ball. And I think that really, I, I keep harping on Anthony Gordon within the first seven minutes of this episode, but I, I can't get past uh, how much more impressive he was. And I think that's what I really took away from that, other than just literally how how Richarlison just thundered it into the back of the net, because that was uh, a whole lot of shot power for Schmeichel to handle, that's for sure. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you think about the, the no disrespect to Leicester City, and I don't want to compliment, of course, the other side of <laughs> Liverpool, but the level of, of competition against both those sides. Furthermore, Leicester didn't have their their full strength team out there. But you could tell that Gordon like was definitely a couple milliseconds slow in his decision-making in the derby. And in this game, it just seemed like he had a lot more freedom, a lot more confidence, and maybe it was a, a really smart, calculated decision by Carlo to throw him into the deep end with no floaties, so to speak, in the derby to then help him get his, his feet wet so then he can come in with confidence against sides again Leicester are a tremendous side they've had a tremendous season but sides that that maybe aren't going to apply as much immediate pressure on the ball consistently as Liverpool do and you could tell that he was taking that 
uh, to his advantage. Furthermore, like the matchup on the right hand side when he's going up against uh, against Justin for Lester, like you could tell that he was brimming with confidence. Furthermore, Mar- Mark Albrighton in front of him don't really rate him that much as a player. It's only his fifth start of the season for Leicester. So he was brimming with confidence and he knew that he had the pace to beat those players and he was determined to show it. Yeah. And you know what? I think that we saw very early on um, from the Toffees, right? And we know, I mean, we've seen this in previous games, but I think it was um, accentuated in this match specifically. We saw that Awobi and Gordon were really tucking in on the insides. And luckily, we also know that that's really where both of them excel in general. They excel playing in more of an attacking midfield type of role. They're not they're not out and out wingers. They don't prefer to stay wide. And so that's that's literally where we saw that first goal kind of take form with with the chip out to Lucas Dean. We saw that that Anthony Gordon is tucking inside and that's what gave Lucas Dean so much space on the outside to receive the ball and then headed into his path on on like a short diagonal pass because of the fact that Gordon was tucked inside kind of near the top of the box. And so, you know, Justin's got to mark him. And then Albrighton is obviously at the same time thinking, you know, am I, am I going to go all the way out wide? Do I need to stay in? So Gordon can't, can't then receive the ball to feet. And so those are the questions that they're asking simply with just their positioning and their movement. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And like you said, Gordon actually starts inside on that move, makes the run almost perfectly like perpendicular to the sideline to come out and then cuts down the line where Dean is able to play it right to his feet. So really intelligent movement early on and an action packed, you know, we're, we're, I guess for this season, we're kind of accustomed to scoring too early. And that almost was the case in this match because just a few short minutes later, we have Luca Dean yet again, playing a free kick into the box. This time, Michael Keane is in prime position to win the header and he doesn't all of a sudden you see all the Everton players hands go up you hear shouts and VAR comes into play yet again for the Toffees absolutely so I mean you know I'm sure I'm not the first person or the only person to be extremely frustrated with the commentators on NBCSN during the whole VAR shenanigans on this one because they took forever in VAR uh but essentially and Diddy he he had his hands raised above his head and then he placed his hand in front of Michael Keane's face and essentially the ball hit his hand before it could hit Michael Keane's head. And and the NBC comment to NBCSN commentators kept talking and they kept harping on the, oh, I don't think it was intentional. You know, I think that's really harsh on him. I don't think so at all. In my opinion, the only thing that matters is that his hands were in an unnatural position and there was a handball inside the box. Why it took five minutes to check that and award the penalty, I'm not sure. But I'm also pretty sure that all the other Evertonians were were sitting there holding their breath because that was the first penalty Everton has been awarded this season. Exactly. And it it was frankly well-deserved. I agree with you, Alex. I mean, the the partisanship on the part of the, the commentary team was a little bit too much. On one hand, playing devil's advocate, I can kind of see their point where, yeah, it wasn't intentional, but at the same time, Michael Keane's winning that header if his hand's not there. Therefore, by just basic logic, that's a handball. You're denying Michael Keane an opportunity to put the ball in the back of the net. And it took them far too long, probably deciding, you know, do we want to rob Everton again? Can we get away with this? Is this this something that this is going to result in riots in the street? Eventually, they decided it wasn't worth the uproar that it would cause. And finally, finally, we get a VAR decision that goes our way. Gilfie Sigurdsson has handed the penalty and slots at home very coolly, I must say. Extremely coolly. You know, I was sitting there telling my girlfriend, Allie, like, hey, 
You know, that took a lot of confidence, but imagine if he missed it. What would be we be asking of Gilfie Sigurdsson if he missed that? <laughs> Luckily, he did and not, he, though. Yeah. And he needed that goal, to be fair. He needed right, but, that. Because he'd missed, he'd missed two of his last three. They said it right before he took the shot. And it's been so long since we've been awarded one, it's hard to, like, even remember the last time he took one. But I do remember, you know, he has had an inconsistent record as of late. So it's nice to see him slot home with confidence that he's ready, to, still capable of taking uh, strong penalty kicks. Yeah, and ju- and just a fun stat for all of you: the last penalty score kick scored at home at Goodison Park was in 2017 by none other than Wayne Rooney, and that was also coincidentally his last goal for the club. Just a testament to how atrocious the refereeing is in this league that we have not been awarded a penalty since then at Goodison, and fond memories of that goal. But yeah, it, this one was well overdue and well-deserved and well-slotted home by Gilfie. And all of a sudden, we're up 2-0 inside 15 minutes. And to be honest, my thought at that moment was the classic, we've scored too early. Like, on one hand, I'm like, we're going to run away with this. We could put six past them. And on the other hand, I have this just been burned too many times in the past. This sneaking, sneaking feeling in the back of my mind that this is too early. Like, we cannot defend a lead for... 70-odd minutes that's not going to end well. Yeah, exact same feeling. First thing that popped up in my head, the most dangerous lead is 2-0. Of course, yeah. You know, and I think think that, obviously, it proved to be completely fine, but I won't say that, you know, well, throughout the rest of the first half, I felt that Everton put up a good fight. Leicester could not get into any sort of rhythm. I thought that Gilfie and Gomez did a pretty good job in the first half of kind of trying to control the tempo of the match. Um, you know, we saw, well, it's easy, I think, to kind of assume that in a flat 4-4-2, the way we've been playing, that the center of the pitch, specifically the two central midfielders, are going to be outrun. A lot of the teams in this league play three central midfielders, and it becomes a problem. We also know we don't have the quickest ones out on the pitch at the moment, nor do they have the defensive guile that maybe we would prefer in at least one of them. Uh, however, I think really through the first half, both of them did pretty good at, you know, controlling the tempo of the match, of not being overrun um, in the center of the field by Leicester City, and overall just just essentially whittling away and trying to create chances for the team. There were there were a, a decent amount of of diagonal balls um, to the sidelines, and I, I think that up to half up to halftime, you know, it closes out two nil. I think all fans were had to have been very happy at that point in time. Yeah, I, I certainly was. I mean, I think what was most impressive is that once we took the 2-0 lead, we really made a concerted effort to control the game, to control as much of the possession as we could. At the same time, it was clear that the mandate from Carlo was not to dominate possession, but rather keep our shape, stay resolute, and not really provide Leicester with any clear chances. They were playing balls into the box left and right. I mean, Michael Keane, that forehead is just a beautiful thing to witness in action. He was winning everything. <laughs> he was all over it. Mason Holgate as well, making some really nice passes. Like his passing range was on full display. You saw, you know, Luca Dean getting involved at times and the ball movement was a lot of, a lot of passing the ball back, but as frustrating as that can be sometimes when you're up to nil, it's hard to complain about trying to control the tempo of the match. And that's really what it achieved going into halftime. It seemed like Lester you know, were practically already beaten at that point. That, of course, changed when the teams came out after half. Right. So Brendan Rodgers made 
well, essentially wasted no time making a couple of substitutions, and probably rightfully so because they're down 2-0 at halftime. Um, he brings on the striker, Ihea Nacho, and then James Madison, the attacking midfielder, on for Harvey Barnes, who was playing on the left-hand side, um, kind of the left winger, left forward position, and then Priet, who was playing in central midfield. So uh, one was pretty much like for like, and the other one was definitely a more attacking sub, uh, Madison for Priet. And immediately when we come out from halftime, it feels that Leicester City came with an intensity, a quickness that Everton weren't prepared for. Yeah, I don't know what Roger said to them in the locker room at halftime, but they really came out with a totally different level of, of pressure and desire that what, that I saw from them in the first half. I think bringing on James Madison... I mean, he's had an unbelievable season. I actually, I really rate him as a player. I remember when we were linked with him from Norwich a couple years ago, and you know, he immediately changed the game. His ability to move with the ball, to be dangerous, to pick out a clever pass, uh, really changed the way that Leicester were attacking us. And and they were applying a ton of pressure from the get go, looking to finally like fight their way back into the match and of course it didn't take too long before they were able to just five minutes after half really just a remarkably unlucky series of events where Tielmans plays the ball into the box Richie gets his toe on the actual ball so it's deflected it falls to Jamie Vardy who pops it up into the air Ianacho chests it down Mason Holgate goes to like do a quick flick and clear it somehow goes straight up off of Ianacho's forehead and into the back of the net. So while Leicester were pressuring, that was like a really, really unlucky conceit, flat out. Yeah, and you know what? Live, you could not even see that it was that much of a uh, cluster you-know-what, right? Like, you, yeah. you don't know what's going on. It just kind of, I guess, looks like it was a mishit shot and he scored. I I'm not going to say that I was surprised, just, just judging by the momentum to this point. However, as you said, it was kind of un an unlucky goal in general, especially with A, all the deflections, and B, specifically just Mason Holgate gets to the ball first and tries to clear it, and he just simply did not have the room between him, uh, and Nacho, and then obviously Pickford on the other side. So, you know, it's not like we are just handing them clear-cut chances, and I think, you know, to concede only one goal, and that, and that was the fashion that we conceded, again, that doesn't really make me worry about our defensive prowess moving forward either. No, definitely not. And they struggled to create like really solid chances. There was another opportunity in the second half. Uh, well, they had several decent opportunities, but were really frustrated, I think, by how compact we were at the back and how difficult we made things for them. They were definitely trying to put things into the box and, and immediately after they scored that first goal, that little creeping doubt starts to sneak into the back of your mind. And you have to think that it started to creep into the players' minds as well, because we were firmly, firmly on the back foot at that point. Again, we're not conceding clear cut chances left and right or anything like that. I mean, there was the Michael Keane clearance near own goal slash clearance off the line that made my heart skip about four or five beats. <laughs> Thought I might end up in an ambulance for that one, but other than that, you know, Pickford had a few errors that were almost very costly. He looked really shaky this match, I'm going to be completely honest. Wasn't very impressed with him. But with that said, you know, we continued to to try to 
get some kind of possession. And, and after about, you know, 10 minutes after they had scored, it was clear that this wasn't working and that something had to change. Right. And, and you know what? Through the through the rest of the second half, these substitutions and these tactical changes are really what highlights the fantastic manager we have in Carlo Ancelotti and how that might compare to, let's say, how Marco Silva would have handled the rest of the match. So, you know, in the 57th minute, not too far after Leicester score and make it 2-1, Richarlison goes down injured. Um, it was just now, now as an aside, it ended up being just a knock on the ankle. And Carlo did say after the match that he will be fine uh, for a match on Monday against Spurs. So just as an aside, before we move forward, Thank nobody God. freak out. Um, but in that moment, he still takes him off and subs on Tom Davies. And the thought process there was he wanted to try to control the midfield a little bit better. And we were seeing, um, we were seeing obviously within the first 15, well, no, sorry, 12 minutes of the second half that Leicester City were finding a lot of joy in central areas. And I think that definitely comes down to the fact that James Madison came into the match. And so we sub on a third central midfielder to kind of help try to shore up and be a little more compact, but just add a little bit of defensive credibility to that, to, to the, let's say the top of the box in general when we're defending. Right. To give a little, um, to provide a little additional robustness Support. in that yeah. midfield, cut, cut out passing lanes, give them fewer avenues with which to pass through our midfield. Cause they were finding it pretty easy and it worked right. I mean, it worked very well. I thought that Tom Davies, you know, again, I was his biggest critic against Norwich, but in this one, I thought he, he did his job fairly well. I mean, he's never going to wow anyone, but he did have a couple moments where, especially with the ball at his feet, where I was very impressed. I think he beat two or three guys in, in one or two dribble moves. That was a, a really clever move and something that I think he hasn't had the confidence to even try for a long time. So to see that from him was really reassuring. Um, perhaps, you know, a reversion to form back a couple years ago when he popped onto the scene at Everton. But from that point on, I honestly thought that, and then there was, of course, the Yeri Mina sub uh, on on 68 minutes. Awobi comes off. I mean, I don't know what you thought about Awobi's performance. I thought he was a lot brighter in the sec first half and then faded in the second half. And it was clear that, you know, if they're going to, Lester's just going to continue pinging balls into the box and hope something happens, then can't hurt to have Big Yerald in there to to head him right back out. Yeah, I mean, I thought Awobi did pretty well. He had a couple solid crosses into the box. Um, you know, we, we saw him tucking in on the right hand side, just like we saw Gordon on the left hand side. And, you know, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it a thousand times over again, but his close control and his ability to retain possession, specifically as in this instance, a wide player, uh, on paper is extremely impressive, but also extremely useful. And so, you know, hats off to him in general. I thought, like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't great. He didn't light it up. But I thought he did pretty well, especially playing on the right-hand side, right? Because if he plays wide, he prefers left as he's right-footed. Yerimina comes in because we know that he is now back to fitness. I wouldn't say full fitness, but back to fitness. And that's when we see Everton change into a three at the back. So first off, in the 57th minute, Carlo brings on Tom Davies and we show up the midfield, try to get a little more possession. Um, and, and then, you know, about 10 minutes later, we go three at the back because we realized when we shored up possession in the center of the pitch, Leicester City realized they had one thing that they could do, one thing they were going to revert to, and that is swing the ball into the box. And so what do you do when, when they want to swing the ball into the box? You don't sub on another striker like Marco Silva would. You sub on Yuri Mina, and you get the Colombian at the back with Michael Keane and Mason Holgate, and obviously it worked out. 
Yeah, and actually Yuri Mina didn't have to do a great deal on the air, but he did do some really nice things with the ball at his feet. You could tell that, you can just tell as soon as he comes in, you know, credit to Michael Keane again for an outstanding performance, but a ball handler and a passer, he is absolutely not. And Yuri Mina brings those elements back into the team with his return to the side, which was really reassuring to see. I did want to talk about a player that I don't think we've touched on just yet, and that's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, because, you know, Obviously, in the first half, he's partnering with Richarlison. We're finding some offensive success. And then as the game wears on and Lester continue to assert control, he reverts back to a role that, unfortunately, he's all too familiar with in the lone striker serving as an outlet for the rest of the team. And mind you, Lester were just throttling us in possession. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin was making, he wasn't finding, having an easy time getting the ball at all. He was very isolated, but what he didn't do was quit. He continued to press. He continued to make runs down the line as an outlet. There were a few times when Andre Gomez, towards the probably last 15 minutes, you A, you could tell Gomez was absolutely exhausted. Like, he would get the ball and just basically just do like a shielding drill where he's just <laughs> trying to like stand in place and draw a foul. But there were a few times when Calvert-Lewin would make a run and, and really press the the Leicester back line. And, and, you know, he always poses that threat, which means that defenses have to kind of respect their positioning and not press up too high. So that was a, a valuable contribution for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He would have probably loved to get on the score sheet, didn't have a lot of great chances, had a, you know, chance where he would, a few breakaways, one where he tried to draw a penalty that was clearly not a penalty. But I did just want to highlight his performance because I think he was one of our unsung heroes today. You know, honestly, I'm glad I'm glad you did decide to touch on him. Richarlison had a very good match, obviously contributed with a goal, but he came off in the 57th minute. Now, we saw kind of our control was dwindling, right? And and when we could get the ball, you know, long balls down the line of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, sometimes were coming off, sometimes there weren't. But then you've got every other player trying to sprint all the way up the pitch to kind of connect and be able to hold possession. We were finding it very hard. However, Bernard subs in in the 79th minute for Anthony Gordon, right? And then all of a sudden, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has someone to play off of, right? And, well, to an extent, he was sitting pretty high, though, on the left-hand side. And then we start to see that we're creating maybe not full chances, but we're doing a little bit more with the ball offensively than we were in the last 20, 25 minutes after Richarlison was taking off, taken off. And I think that that's a testament to really the fact that Dominic Calvert-Lewin, although generally speaking, as you said, does a lot of does a lot of the dirty work, a lot of the work that goes um, unnoticed, kind of like how we would talk about a defensive midfielder, for example. When he has players around him, he simply makes them better. He allows other players to get in behind. He he serves as a solid outlet for the for the team to to get the defense a breather. He you know he just he does it all. I don't find it a coincidence. And I think he also did have a pretty good match too. Yeah, and it's good that you highlight the Bernard sub as well because we haven't touched on that yet. To be quite honest, I remain unconvinced by Bernard this season, um, particularly today. I mean, there were moments when he did some okay things. There was always the Bernard, infamous Duarte slip, as I yeah. now dubbed it, trademark pending, where he just, for no reason really, just completely loses his footing and, and slips to the ground. Um, but I agree, his substitution did make an impact because while we were, we by no means were able to establish like control of the game in the last 15, 20 minutes, 
we were definitely able to get a foothold in the match and at least like retain possession and control the ball in Leicester's half a little bit, which gave our defenders some rest and let us, you know, maybe relax a little bit. And I think Leicester's biggest threat probably came from like 55 to 75, 80 minutes. I think the last 10 minutes plus stoppage time were actually fairly comfortable for us. And I think that's a testament to Carlo Ancelotti's substitutions and, and the way that they impacted the match and, and the tactical changes that he was able to make. Yeah, easily said. I mean, if we still had Marco Silva, you know what I'm saying? He would have extended Niasa's contract and thrown him on today in the 79th minute. But instead, we got tactically astute decisions and and changes and I think it was all the positive. So let's talk about the implications of the result, right? We got 3 points today. Um as I've said, we got 7 points from 9 possible thus far, playing the first and third positions in the table uh in in Liverpool and Leicester City to this point. So we have played 32 matches along with most of the leagues. Some of the league has not yet. And we are in 11th place. 11th place with 44 points. Now, James, I want to I just want to make this comparison because we really might be swimming into these waters very soon. Seventh placed Arsenal, also with 32 played, has 46 points. So two point difference from 11th to seventh place currently. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more needs to be said. The stage is set. We have the capability to push for that spot. I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, Arsenal had a convincing win today. There's a lot of other good sides that are fighting for that spot, but Carlo has the boys looking good. He he seems to understand how to play pragmatically and not try to overcomplicate things for the sake of looking good on the stat sheet or good to the passing the eye test. I think he wants to come in, pick up points where we can, and again, undefeated since the league has restarted. So I said it last episode, choo-choo, I'm back on the Europa League train. <laughs> I think we can get there. There's a debate to be had whether or not that's beneficial for us in the short term as we would take on the additional fixtures, but it's a goal to strive for. I think everyone in the squad wants it. And I think, you know, with the way that Carlo has us playing, if we can keep up this run of form, we can stay healthy, maintain the level of health we have now because we're not healthy. Let's be real. We can maintain the level of health, continue to grind out results. There's no reason we can't finish in that seventh spot. I mean, other teams will drop points. It's up to us. I mean, we have a big match against Spurs next week and uh, Monday night, I believe. So that's going to be a huge one. I think if we w are able to pick up three points there, then we're really talking. I'm still on the train, but I'm not I'm not sure if I want to get off like at the next stop or I want to try to keep riding it. I think that's where I'm at right now. Completely fair. I mean, I don't think the odd the odds are not in our favor to finish in seventh place. Uh, one of the teams that are above us between 11th and 7th place is Tottenham, and they have a game in hand. They've only got 31 played at the time of recording right now. And so, as you said, those three points, uh, or the possible three points on Monday against Spurs, could legitimately be the difference between finishing an Europa League spot or not. And really, to round out this little mini-discussion, um, this mini-talking point, really, I just want to say that I'm refreshed by the fact that Carlo Ancelotti is saying publicly that our goal is Europa League because I can count to numerous occasions over the last couple of years where we had the capacity or at least the fans want to hear that we're striving for something. And then we've had the managers essentially just say we're aiming to win the next game, right? That That is just the cookie cutter answer. We're looking to the next match. But Carlo is saying multiple times, even over the last week, that we want Europa League and that is our goal. 
And it's just nice to have a world-class manager that is setting lofty expectations for a season that has not even gone close to uh, how how it was planned. I want to agree with you, but I also want to disagree with you because as much as I love to criticize Marco Silva and as much as I'm I'm thankful that we have Carlo Ancelotti now, Silva was always pretty vocal about it being our goal to achieve European competition. Now, what I will say is that when Marco Silva said it, it was not nearly as believable or convincing or inspiring as it is when Carlo Ancelotti says it. When you have a manager who's been there, who's won everything, it just has a different feeling about uh, he actually, you know, he wouldn't just say this to pay lip service to the fans. He actually believes that we're capable of it. And I think that the squad feels that as well. And that inspires a different level of confidence in the remaining fixtures that we have. Yeah, that's true. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me put it this way. Marco Silva would have never said it 32 matches played while sitting in 11th place, regardless of points. He has said it plenty, obviously beginning of seasons and that sort of thing. But nonetheless, I think just in general, he he has said it. Just in general, I think it is nice to hear while sitting in 11th place with six matches to go that our aim is something that, you know, would even be a heartache to discuss as Blues fans because I think that, you know, like I said, lofty goals are important. You need something achievable yet, something that you need to strive for. Um, but with that being said, look out for our match review episode from the Spurs match on Monday evening. Hopefully we have a very good match and another three points to discuss. And until next time, up the toffees. Discuss. And until next time, up the toffee. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.